Good morning. Redeemers, it's good to be here. My name is Mike Kildall, as the screen said. It's my honor for the last 11 and a half years to have served as a pastor here at Redeemers. Uh, some of you might know, it was a year ago, actually a year ago this very weekend, where we announced it, that I began my full-time ministry at Mercy Medical Center as a chaplain. And, uh, but I would tell you that one of my greatest joys, don't tell my bosses at Mercy this, but uh, my, one of my greatest joys is to being asked to be part of the teaching team here at Redeemers. So when Billy asked if I would pick up one of the messages in the In and Out series, I jumped at the chance. And last Sunday, I needed to do a little research. It was a difficult task. <laughs> but I got to the restaurant before the church crowds let out last Sunday. I ordered my food, enjoyed my good meal. If you're new to this teaching series, you, you might be asking the question, so why are we preaching about a fast food chain here in Roseburg? Uh, we didn't preach about Mod Pizza when they came, and I don't know that we're going to do one on Chipotle when it comes, though maybe we'll consider that. Now, the ownership of In-N-Out uh, are very committed Christian people, and I read that since 1987, the family has been putting Bible references on the various cups and wrappers that they use in their product because the family wanted to put a touch of their faith in their brand. It was actually an uncle of the present owner. So last Sunday, I ordered my double-double, upgraded to a strawberry milkshake, where we find our verse today. Hey, normally I'm a pink lemonade guy, just saying, but uh, uh, on the milkshakes, we find our verse today, Proverbs 3, 5. We're going to expand when we actually get to the text and break it down. We're going to expand it to verse 6 because, quite honestly, if you're familiar with this verse, you're probably not just familiar with verse 5. You're familiar with both of them, which remind us to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lead not into our own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. So if you're new to Redeemers, we're going to do something we don't normally do right now. We're going to make sure that we memorize this verse, okay? A lot of you have done it. Some of you haven't. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to read through it twice, and then you're going to read through it with no screen, okay? So give it a rip. Let's say it together. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Let's try it one more time. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Now let's make the screen go blank. Let's try it together. Trust with all your heart, and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will straight your paths. Proverbs 3. Good job. Let's hear it. All right. That's good. Uh, I don't want to compare services, but you're the winner so far. <laughs> Woo! I would tell you that many of us can recite it off the top of our heads. Just as we can recite the Pledge of Allegiance, 
But just like the pledge, it's real easy. It's real easy to forget to consider the words that we're actually saying. If we truly do the Pledge of Allegiance, do you ever stop and really think, you know, you're just waiting for the baseball game to start or something, right? The same could be true with Scripture, even when we commit it to memory. As a church, we have taken a whole year to focus on the Bible and understand it. And from time to time, there's been passages we've committed to memory. Some of us memorize Scripture as a habit, and that is good. But it's dangerously easy, dangerously easy to become familiar with Bible verses, but forget what they're saying, to recite them and forget the fact that they have been written to be applied to our life. We're going to do that. We're going to try to do that and make an attempt to do that today. It's easy to miss the power behind the words. And I would tell you that I'm guilty of this myself I can't count how many times I've recited verses like the ones we just did without truly contemplating the profound and practical truth that they represent. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean in your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him. And he, he will make straight your path. Let's take a look at what these verses are actually saying. But before we do, will you pray again with me? Father, we're thankful for the hope that we can have in you and that you do not leave us floundering in this earth by ourselves. You've given us guidance through your word. You've given us inspiration. You've given us direction. Father, this day, as we consider these verses soften our hearts to its message, maybe in a way that we don't even personally want you to, but do it anyway. We pray in the name of the Father who loves us, the Son who died for us, and the Spirit who can live within us. Amen. As we look at these verses, I feel we need to do a little background. I know it's a holiday weekend. But we're going to have to go to school a little bit, okay? We're going to kind of do a little work behind the scenes. Because we understand that when you open your Bibles, there are different sections of your Bibles that were written differently than others. Some of them were written in different styles or genres. How many of you watch Jeopardy? I used to love it when Alex would say this word. He would say, genre, you know, like in his French accent. Genre, and my, we still every time we see the word in our family, we mimic old Alex. But whenever we look at a single verse or or a passage, we need to understand how it was written. We need to understand to whom it was originally written to, or it won't necessarily make any sense to us today. Or if it does make sense to us today, we might be taking it out of context. So we're going to nerd out a little bit, okay? We're going to look at the different genres of the Bible, and it's going to fulfill your screen. By the way, we gave you blank notes. I call them holiday notes. Holiday notes mean there are no fill-ins, okay? So, so use your notes if you want to take some of these, uh, some great opportunities in the message, too. But the first genre, that actually, if you have your Bible on your lap, hold it, and then just look at the side of it, like, you know, the white part or the gold part. 
And understand that 43% of your Bible is written in historical narrative. Truly, it's real history. It's stuff that really happened. Factual retellings of real events. The historical narrative texts are not based in myth. They're based in fact. God loves to tell stories about his faithfulness to us. In the Old Testament, it can be found from verse one of Genesis through the book of Esther, parts of Job and the prophets. And the New Testament can be found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts. And the gospels themselves, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are kind of a special narrative. But that special narrative is focusing on the person of Jesus. Then there's the law. Biblical law is scripture that outlines God's commands to his covenant people. I know that's exciting on a holiday weekend to think about, but it's important for us to note that biblical law was given after God redeemed his people from Egypt, after the Exodus. Grace came before law. Biblical law is found in the book of Leviticus, parts of Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Poetry is the next genre. Biblical poetry is scripture that is written in verse. Here, well, let's try it. The Lord is my shepherd. Yeah, it has that little rhythmic thing, and most of us know that. This type of scripture is full of symbolic language, metaphors, word pictures, and expressions of feeling. Psalms make up the majority of biblical poetry, but poetry can also be found in the Song of Solomon, Lamentations, and several of the Old Testament narratives. Sometimes they're mixed up, so we have to kind of pull them apart. There's wisdom literature. Wisdom literature is scripture that reveals the collected wisdom of generations of godly people. Wisdom literature invites us to consider the complexity of wise living and gives us general rules to live by. The text today that we're going to look at is wisdom literature. But I think it's important to note, and I'll just say this on the side, the sayings, the proverbs that we read in, in wisdom literature communicate principles that are usually true, but not universally true. Here we find principles, principles, not always promises. This literature is found in Proverbs, Job, and Ecclesiastes. Then there's prophecy. Prophecy, biblical prophecy, is scripture that recounts visions or specific messages from God about the future. There are the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Major, not because they're more important, because they're longer. And then there's 12 minor prophets, considered minor because they're shorter in length. Some think it's because they're weird, and I would tell you, when you read them, they seem weird if you don't understand it. But I would tell you that, I think it's interesting, you don't, you don't care, but it's, I care. The first time I ever preached in this spot, in this church, was from one of the texts of the minor prophets, Haggai chapter 1. A message for thousands of years ago that meant something for us today because it helped us understand what it means to have priorities that honor God first. Apocalyptic literature. 
Apocalyptic literature is scripture that describes what the end times are going to be like. The Old Testament, apocalyptic literature is sometimes mixed in with the narrative. usually is. And so you have to kind of go through it and make sure you understand that and separate it out. The book of Daniel is an example of the mix of historical narrative of things that really happened and some apocalyptic messages as well. New Testament literature can be found in Matthew, parts of Mark, chapter 13, 2 Corinthians 2, and the book of Revelation. And then finally, there's the epistles, or I call them the letters. The epistles are scriptures written in the form of a letter. 1 Corinthians was written to the church of Corinth. The book of Romans was written to the book or the church at Rome. And letters make up half of the New Testament. That's your history lesson, or that's your, your, your lesson for the day. So we turn to look to prepare ourselves for the verses we're looking at. So we're going to look at the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is the largest cache of wisdom literature in the Bible. The word proverb, in Hebrew, the word is mashal, and it means comparison. For about 30 years, men here at Redeemers would meet once a month on the third Saturday, usually, and study the book of Proverbs together. And the book of Proverbs can be broken down into three main sections. Chapters one through nine is basically one message, one sermon written in a conversational tone, and it's all about helping each of us become the man or woman God wants us to be. The context of this section in Proverbs comes from the words of a father talking to a son. Chapter 10 through chapter 22, verse 16, are 375, that's right, write it down, 375, 375 Proverbs of Solomon, who is preparing the learner to make this comparison between what is wise and what is foolish. They come in two verse couplets. And it's where most of the comparisons are found. The last section in the book of Proverbs is chapter 21, verses 17 through 31. And it's a collected uh, uh, wisdom of many different wise people. But with our remaining time, I'd like us to focus on the bottom of the milkshake cup. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Proverbs chapter 3. We look at verses five and six. We need to add six because that's how most of us have learned the whole thing, right? And if you haven't started taking notes, get your pens ready. Because I believe these verses are going to speak to every last one of us in this room and those watching online. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, the verse says. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge. By the way, the word acknowledge can also be translated to submit. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. These verses have been powerful in my life. While there have been thousands of seemingly smaller, insignificant moments that I've needed these verses, there are a few as I prepared for this lesson that jumped out in my memory. Like when I took a job in Southern California, sight unseen, 
after having grown up in the Midwest, California sounded like a nice place to live. I didn't know my bosses. I didn't know the job description. I only knew that I would have an apartment in a men's dorm and that my annual salary would be $4,000 a year in LA. Trust in the Lord. We were a young couple, Judy and I, in 1990, with a one-year-old and a two-year-old driving a U-Haul from Southern California to a little town in Oregon called Roseburg, to a house we had never seen, in a place we had never lived, to do a job that I had never done. What were we thinking? Lean not in your own understanding. Just exactly one year ago, after 31 years of full-time ministry here at this church, I left to become the chaplain at Mercy Hospital. It was an opportunity that God clearly provided for me, but if I were going to be honest with everyone in this room, I was afraid it wouldn't work out, that I wouldn't be good at it. We're reminded in all our ways to acknowledge him. Even then. After a full year in my new position as a chaplain at the hospital, I can say that I depend on the truth of these verses every time. I walk into a room, engage with a patient or a nurse or a doctor. Every day I find myself trusting and not leaning on my own understanding because guess what? I don't understand. I literally don't understand. I will be in a group of rounding. I work out of the ICU, and you know they would talk about things like, we're going to put them on pressers, and I'm writing down words, and then I go back to my office, and guess what I do? I'm Googling this stuff, because I've never heard it. I was a pastor. Trust in me, and he will make straight your path. You know, over time, you do begin to learn. But those are just my stories. I know you have your own. People face challenges and change and choices all the time. The real question is, when you do face those challenges, where do you go for answers? There has been, or will be, a point, maybe multiple points, for every one of us where our faith meets face-to-face with our fear. And we have to decide, am I going to trust God or am I going to try to figure this out on my own? The question I'd like to ask us today is, is there an area in your life where you need to trust God with all your heart? So let's look at the verses. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. More specifically, I might ask the question, is there an area of fear in our life that you need to fully give to God, believing that he will direct your life if you let him? Usually the area that we need to trust God the most is the area that we fear the most. So write this down. Mike, question number one. This is good note-taking stuff. It's an observation. 
Your greatest point of fear is where you need to trust God the most. Your greatest point of fear is where you need to trust God the most. Think about it. What is it in your life that you are afraid of the most? What are the areas of your life that you worry the most? Your greatest point of fear is often where you need to trust God the most. It might be a person you fear. It might be a challenging situation. It it might be the well-being of your kids. If you're a single adult, maybe you wonder, will I ever meet someone? Maybe it's just a tough season at work. Even now, even though I've started at the hospital, I still get the prayer requests every week that the people of this church turn in on those little cards that are in the back of your seat. Sometimes they write that it's a lost job, an addicted family member, a terminal illness. And I can think of people right now in this church, in this room, watching online who are struggling with these issues today. And often a question that gets lost in those moments Or are you trusting in God through these situations? It's not good chaplain bedside manner to ask that question at the hospital. But I wonder. Here's the problem. The problem is, a lot of times we are half-hearted people. And by the way, God knows that. Which is exactly why the proverb reads, with what? With all your heart. I had this crazy thought as I was preparing this message. Is it even possible to have a half-hearted faith? Seems that the two words cancel each other out. Faith is either trusting God with everything, or it's not. Yet I think if we were asked to define ourselves, we often probably say, well, I do for some things and I don't for others. Half-othered faith implicitly kind of assumes the fact that we're holding something back. And I get it. It's common for all of us. There are times we're tired. Situations are daunting. And then there's some really good reasons. Some of us struggle with the basic idea of trust because someone somewhere along the way violated our trust. Someone lied to you. Someone betrayed you, hurt you. Some of you have been hurt so bad, so bad that you vowed you'll never trust someone ever again. And some of you blame God. Nearly every day of every week, I encounter someone who struggles with trusting God. And they do it because of their present circumstances. I mean, I'm at a hospital, right? It's either a a parent or a patient, usually. How could God let something like this happen to her? Or how could God let something like this happen to me? 
How can I trust a God who knows how hard I've been hurt and how unexpected the circumstance is? So they keep God and everyone else at an arm's length. And they vow never to trust them or him ever again. Well, I would tell you that there are no simple words to the why. I call it the God question. Hard stuff happens, and the healing process takes time. But I can't imagine walking through life without being able to trust in other people or trust in God. I just can't believe that a God who loves me, whose son died for my sins, would jerk me around and drag me down the wrong path for the fun of it. Write this verse down. Romans 8.32. Write the address. Romans 8.32. It reminds us that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? But maybe you're hearing this message and you still can't find your way to trust God. It's okay. It's okay because God knows your struggle. We should never be afraid. He's not intimidated by our questions. But I want to encourage you to work on that, to pray about that. If you need to see a counselor to help you work through that, do that. Make an appointment with a pastor. Read through the scriptures. Read through the Psalms. But whatever you do, don't keep living a life that can't trust in God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And it feeds into the rest of verse five. And do not lean on your own understanding. Man, do we not, we just don't want to hear that. Hey, Oregonians, guess what? I know something about us. We have one thing in common. Maybe our family came here on a Conestoga wagon, or we came here on a U-Haul, but it, we came here on our own, and we don't need anybody else. I call it the Oregon Trail mentality. And it is probably the number one hurdle to keep people from hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because guess what? They think they don't need it. Our sense of independence can be a hurdle, a hurdle that keeps us from trusting God. It's, it kind of pales in its significance, but this was real for me. Last Sunday morning, I was up early and I couldn't find my phone. I was sure Judy had moved it because that happens a lot. But I couldn't leave the house with my phone, without my phone. I was getting upset. And by the way, if you don't know anything about the kill dolls, we're always on time. I couldn't find the phone. I was getting upset. I was thinking the worst when the two of us decided to have her call the phone, which, by the way, I always have the ringer turned off, so it's not going to ring, but maybe I could hear the buzz. Judy punches in my number. 
and something in my back pocket begins to vibrate. <laughs> I had put the pocket, it's normally this pocket, I put it in the wallet pocket for some reason. There was something there, but there was actually two things there, my phone and my wallet. I was sure she had moved it. Write this down. Second Mike observation of the day. My own understanding is often more wrong than it is right. It's true for you too. My own understanding is often more wrong than it is right. We think we know what's going on, but often we don't. We misread people's actions or motives. We don't know what's going on in their lives. We don't know what diagnosis they just received. All of us have a limited ability to to understand every situation. Every one of us have blind spots in our own lives, so we can't see everything that's going on around us. And we think we're right, but we're not. We need to consider how to get to the point of basic humility where we can say, well, I might not know everything. I might need God's help here because my own understanding is often more wrong than it is right. Or to help us to be people who know enough because we know we don't know it all. Let's quickly move to verse six and it will be quick. In all your ways, acknowledge him. The key word here is all. What does all mean? Everything. It means all, Mike. Sure it does. It's speaking about every part of our life. Your work life. Your family life. The how you spend your time and money life. Your recreation life. Not just your coming to church religion life. Acknowledging God is not just a nod to the big guy. As I mentioned before, acknowledging God has to do with submitting to him. I like to think of it as living in light of him. It means that we consider God and determine that I'm going to live life his way, not just mine. If there's an area of our lives that we live our way outside of what God wants, it's usually the area that we're going to fall. But when we trust God and we don't lean upon ourselves and what we understand, when we seek to live in light of God, what God wants for us, then the rest of these verses is a possibility. It's a conditional principle found at the end of verse six. And he will make straight your paths. Remember that wisdom literature is not about giving promises but giving principles to live by. You do these things, this is usually what's going to happen. You keep trusting God, and you stop thinking you know better than him in every area of your life. When you come to that place that you don't know where to go or what to do, it is then, then that God will make a way clear to you. The thing about a straight path is this. You can see clearly what is ahead for a long distance. 
I mean, if it's super straight, eventually, like, the, the horizon of the earth will end it. But usually, when you think of that, it's, it's where the trees start, a hill begins, or a turn happens. But you can see, you can see ahead for a good distance. You can anticipate. You can prepare. You can know where your next step is coming from. When we look at these verses, look at these verses in these segments, which really gives a very nice, simple outline. I find it interesting that the structure of this proverb presumes something about us. It presumes that on our own, our paths will not be straight. It presumes that on our own, we will not trust God, and we need to be reminded So on this weekend that we celebrate Thanksgiving, we're reminded on the bottom of a a milkshake cup to trust in God. And when we do, we can see our way moving forward. Let's pray. This morning, as we wrap our time in prayer, we're going to do something a little different Earlier, we talked about the fact that sometimes we read verses and we miss the meaning and we tend to forget to apply it to our lives. So I'm going to ask you, if you're able, to stand where you are, just to stand in your seat. I ask you to bow your heads, perhaps keep your hands open. I'm going to ask you to consider for yourself an area of your life where there's fear, uncertainty, questions, challenge. Maybe it's a circumstance that just seems daunting. But in these quiet moments, we want to ask God to release this area of fear in our lives. Allow him to make your path straight because you're letting go of doing it your way and trusting God in these moments. Father, I'm going to submit to you in this very moment and the next time, because there will be a next time. When we don't have a clue what is going on, not only in our lives, but in the world or the things around us, the things that people do to us, Lord, we commit today to trust you. Father, we are thankful that we have not been left in a corner, dependent upon half-hearted dependence. And we commit this day to be a people who wholeheartedly trust you with all our hearts and all our lives. Amen.